Welcome to Firm Foundation. In these times of shifting standards and faulty foundations, there is a solid place on which to build a victorious life. And that place is the Firm Foundation of Jesus Christ and the Word of God. Your host for Firm Foundation is Brian Hudson, a Bible teacher, pastor, author, and producer of Life Enriching Media. We are going to conclude this week, in fact, the 21-day devotional in the Beatitudes of Jesus and his Sermon on the Mount. And this is day 19. And so we got two more days. I trust you've been blessed. Been blessed by the series? Yeah. And we had a special occasion this year in having guest teachers. We've had Sister Stacy, we had Minister Epps, we had Minister uh, Fields, Dolores, um, Bertha Fields, Galen Owens, and my wife Patricia. All brought really good lessons. So we appreciate your contributions uh, to this series. Response has been very good. One thing about the blog is it tracks what's called metrics, you know, who logged in, not who, but people logged in, which web browser, not, not the person, not, no addresses. I don't know anything about where people come from. But just to say that the response has been very, very good, probably best ever for a devotional series. So I appreciate you and all those who have been uh, checking in daily. And it's a blessing to, to do it. It's a lot of work, you know, because I, I thought I would just do uh, audio for a couple of three of them. But I just kept going. And so all of mine had audio as well as the written part. So thank you for joining us. But the most important thing is we're hearing from Jesus. We're hearing from him. We're taking the words he spoke, the Beatitudes. And then now we're into some other scriptures following the eight Beatitudes. But we are thanking God that we are blessed. I am blessed. We began the series. I, last time I talked, my topic was blessed on purpose. So I am blessed on purpose. It's not by accident. Don't just fall into it. Don't happen upon it. We actually, we actually experience it on purpose. You know, we, we oftentimes think about our young people, our children, our grandchildren, and we say, boy, they're doing so well. You know what? We plan on that. That was not by accident. We, we actually had the expectation. We asked and prayed God, prayed to God to help our children and grandchildren and other people's children. Amen. And so everyone that we've had a chance to help and impact, they're doing better because we are blessed on purpose. And the things we do, God wants us to do more of those things. In my lesson today, we'll get into that. All right, today, the topic today is salt and light equals influence and help. Say salt and light equals influence and help. We're going to take two of the Beatitudes today. We're going to Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. I want to call this part the salt principle. Say the salt principle. Here's the scripture. Read with me, please, on the screen. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trodden under the foot of men, by men. All right. So we are the salt of the earth, Jesus said. And he used that word salt in a very important way. We're going to talk about this whole principle of salt and how that he's taking salt as we know it, in the natural world, 
but he's applying it to our lives as believers, as people, as Christ followers. But the point is, we are the salt of the earth. Now, let's say this. Here's a question. I'm asking this question right now. Answer this question in your own mind. Here's the question. Who are the people who have made a difference in my life? Because the people, of course, your parents, educators, is a long list. But the point to that question is, when you think of those people, that's an example of salt. That someone was salty. <laughs> someone brought something to you. And, and so the salt principle is reflected in the, in the fact that, that there have been people who made a difference in our lives. This next slide is interesting. This is a picture uh, from Death Valley, California. In fact, I went out there. I went, to, went out to get some pictures and did a little vacation. I didn't go to Death Valley. I mean, I went to someplace else, but I drove Death Valley and drove out, you know. I don't know about you, but, you know, something about going to Death Valley don't make you want to stay, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> it's the kind of place you visit. But the thing about Death Valley, all that white you see there is salt. As far as the eye can see, it's salt. Because it used to be a lake, and it dried up and evaporated. What was left was salt. And that's how natural salt is formed in most places in the world, uh, because water dried up, evaporated, left, uh, left the salt behind. Now, I show that also because salt is abundant, and it is something that everybody knew what Jesus meant. When he said salt, everyone knew what salt was. And this place is remarkable because it's 200 and, uh, 280 feet below sea level. It's the lowest place in our United States, one of the lowest places in the whole world. Now, I was there last fall, so it's, it's only 70 degrees. But you go there in the middle of summertime, it's the hottest place on Earth. So I had no plans. People go there in the summertime. I don't know why people do stuff like that, you know. People hike and want to rough it out there. Like, anyway. But the thing is, salt is well, well known throughout all history. Now, there's four uses for salt. Four uses for salt. Number one, salt has been used to purify. Say purify. Second, to offer. Say offer. Third, to preserve. Say that. And fourth, to flavor. Say flavor. Now, when it comes to purify, you know, salt, it's bright white, so it looks pure. But in terms of its function, salt has the ability to soften hard water. We know that in the modern times. But salt can also remove toxic, met toxic metals from water. So even though we have, you know, different methods today, well, sodium chloride is what salt is. So salt has those natural properties. Second is that salt was used... Uh, to offer salt was used as currency. In some places, salt was so valuable, they would use salt like money. You'd pay for something, you pay for it with salt. That's how salt was in some cultures at some points in the past. But more importantly, we'll see that God used salt and required salt in offerings made by the ancient Hebrews. So let's look at a scripture 
I'm going to skip ahead a couple of slides here. In fact, about, about three slides, Galen, to Leviticus chapter 2, verse 13. Now watch this. So God gave a command. Watch what he said. He said, he gave, um, he said, within every offering of your grain offering, you shall season with salt. You should not allow the salt of the covenant of your God to be lacking from your grain offering. With all your offerings, you shall offer salt. This sounds confusing. Why would God want you to sprinkle salt on an offering? Because, see, salt to us is the thing on the table. That's all it is to us. It's, it's, it's one, from, one container says salt and one says pepper. So in our mind, like, why would God want Israel to bring an offering, go to the table, get the salt, and shake some salt on it? That's how we think about it, but that was not what it meant. Back then, salt was big chunks and rocky, looked like rocks and pebbles. But it wasn't for flavoring. All right, uses of salt. Number three, third point. So salt is used for, to purify, it's for offering and exchange. Thirdly, salt is to preserve, say preserve. This picture has some fish on top of a bunch of salt. And if you put fish, freshly catch, caught fish, into chunk salt, the fish won't rot. Fish, uh, or rather, salt has the properties of, of, of keeping meats and things from decaying. Again, sodium chloride. So salt was used to preserve. Fourth, here's the part we know about. That salt was used to flavor. Salt was an, an enhancement to the taste of food. And that's true. I mean, a little bit of salt really makes things taste better. So that's how we understand salt. Here's a key point right here. Here's, here's the main point I'm making right now. What is one word that can best describe the function of salt? What word is it? That word is influence. Say influence. Think about this, because when you think about salt that purifies, all right, that will uh, soften hard water, take out toxic metal, or salt as an offering in exchange, or with offerings made by the Israelites, or as a preservative to keep food from rotting, or to flavor. The one word that's, that's the same function is the word influence. Say influence. Now go back to the scripture, Leviticus 2, with that understanding. And again, he said, and every offering of your grain offering, you shall season with salt. Don't allow the salt to be lacking, the salt of the covenant, he said, to be lacking from your offerings. With all your offerings, you shall offer salt. Another scripture. Next one here is Mark chapter 9, verse 50. Jesus said this. He said, this is good. He says, have salt in yourselves and have peace with one another. Oh, now it's coming together. That salt is about influence. Next slide there says this. We cannot hope to influence others positively if we're not being influenced by God. As Jesus said, without me, you can do a few things. What did he say? Without me, you know, you can do nothing. 
So when God said, with every offering, offer salt with it, when Jesus said, have salt in yourselves, then God is saying, make sure whatever you do is being, is being influenced by me. I'm influencing everything you offer, everything you do, everything you say, your motivations, your, your dreams, desires. Offer it with the influence that we know that salt has on all things. Make sense? It sounds, it's a parable. You know, God spoke in parables not only in Christ's day, but before, back in the Old Testament days. And so that, let that reality be true in your life. Amen. All right. Second point is this. Again, we're talking about salt and light, influence and help. Say, thank God. Say, thank God. I am light. All right. Matthew chapter 5, verse 14. If you can, read with me. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hid. Nor do men light a lamp and put it under a bushel, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. So you are light. And light is designed to help. Again, trying to find ways to think about these terms in simple ways. Well, to me, one of the most important ways that light is understood, light helps. Light helps us, doesn't it? Next scripture here, Jesus said this. He says in John 9, he says, As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. But then he turned and said to the disciples, Now you are the light of the world. Because Jesus was going to leave the earth, become our, our offering, sin offering, and go through his passion, all that. He was going to leave. He says, but as long as I'm here, I'm the light. But when I leave, you are going to be the light of the world. Now, hold your seats. Now, hold on. I'm going to make a radical statement. Jesus is not the light of the world. He's not here. Now, he's the Lord of all. He's Savior, King. You know, he's the ruler, creator. But Jesus is not the light of the world, because he is not here. But who is, who is here? <laughs> we are here. Now, you know, phrasing it like that puts a pretty big responsibility upon us, doesn't it? Because Jesus, Jesus you do it. He said, I told you to do that. Amen? And so that he said, you are the light of the world. He began to commission the whole teaching on the mount, the whole sermon on the mount, was to prepare them to become lights in the world. He did not say, you are the light of the church. It's not what he said. He said, you're the light of the world. I think sometimes we are so busy having church, we forget that our true mission is to the world, the larger world around us. Amen? So then he, Jesus Slide again, please. Jesus transferred responsibility, should say, to his disciples. That's us. When he said, you are the light of the world. Now, I don't know about you, uh, but the idea that I'm supposed to be seen and heard and, 
and visible and present. Some of us don't have that nature. I mean, I'm a preacher and a pastor all these years. I'm actually an introvert. This is this whole thing. This is opposite me. This whole thing for 40 years, 43 years totally is opposite my nature. But when God calls you, amen, and gives you his light and saves your life several times, what are you going to say? I don't think so. What are you going to say? No, Lord. He saved my life several times, okay? I mean, that's the stuff I know about. I Listen, think about this now. Try to think about this. You know what you've been through that you call near miss. Accidents, near miss, or you survive something. Here's what blows your mind. All the stuff you don't even know he saved you from. Because you would lose your mind if God showed you everything he saved you from. You might just go, oh, oh you might have a nervous breakdown. I don't know. I can't say that. But it's a fact that if I know of some things that God has saved me from, how much more has he saved me from it? I don't even know. I mean, I, I, I drove, I drove, I've driven through 46 and Keystone out here multiple times, up and down the highway to get our grandchildren, you know, up and down the highway, 69, up and down the highway. And, you know, now, interestingly, you know how this works. When you're driving, you always see an accident, not always, you often see an aftermath of an accident. But, but think about the timing of it. How that you weren't there when someone lost control. Right, you drove, up, you, you, you drove past it after it happened. It's like, oh, wow. But, but the wild part is it wasn't you. The wild part is that there are things that God has kept us from. Sometimes you get a clue. Most of the time we have no clue. All right. So when Jesus said, Brian, I'm calling you to preach the word. I want you to go out, be a light, help people, you know, Get out there and mix it up with people. Be among people. You know, <laughs> I wasn't going to say, I don't, I, don't, I don't know, Lord. I don't want to do that. Because he would already got me ready to say yes. See, God's real good. See, God won't spring up on you. Say, you when, when God knows you're not right, your mind not right and all that, he don't come ask you. Then he wait until you get, just survive something. You freshen your mind that God has helped me, and you're excited. You guys, now will you serve me? Oh, yes, Lord, I'll serve you forever. <laughs> God knows what he's doing. He's been God for a long time. He knows exactly what he's doing. So we are a light of the world, a city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. Now let me say this. Jesus also said, let your light so shine, people can see your good works and glorify God. So God sometimes wants you to be seen. Most times we're content to work behind the scenes, shine the light, let it be a blessing. You know, all that matters is somebody was blessed. But sometimes God says, I want you out there, I want people to see that you did that. Not for your ego, but for the encouragement and example that sometimes people need. Amen, somebody? Again, that's against my nature. I don't, I, I, I'd rather be alone and, and working in a room and getting things done. And, and, you know, but God says, no, I want you out here this time. Now, here's the point, though. God does give us privacy. 
Jesus had privacy. Did you know that? It was so important to him that sometime Christ was ministering to people, crowds of people, and he sent them all away. Sent them away. And he went up to a place alone to pray. That's called privacy. It is. Another occasion, look at his, his team. They're all haggard, look kind of tired. They've been working hard. He said, you know what? We're going we're gonna to go, go aside for a while and rest. Scripture said they had been so busy, hadn't even had time to eat. Jesus saw that, and he pulled his team off the mission field for a brief season, over to the side, went somewhere, just themselves only, and they rested, and they had something to eat. That's called privacy. So we don't say for a moment that because you're the light of the world, you lose your privacy. No, you don't. You do not. You need private time. You need solitude. See, I need solitude. Amen. And my wife, she loves me. I love her, but sometimes she got to get some space. I mean, you know, I, I take little, <laughs> I take little trips sometime. Go see a friend, or I go somewhere and take pictures and say, "Pat, be gone for two days." Is that okay? She says, "Fine, no problem. You can go for two days." <laughs> she never said, "You, you can't, you can't leave me." What am I gonna do? She never, she, she never said that. And she don't, you know, she's not sending me away per se. But the point is, listen, y'all, y'all, everyone needs some privacy, time with God. Time with your own thoughts, with your own heart. Some things are personal and not selfish. What did I just say? All right, thank you. Now, we're going to show you now three purposes for light. I'm going to have Nora get ready to help me in a moment, so get ready, Nora. And Maxwell going to help me in this. Uh, three purposes for light. First of all, God designed light to be seen. It's an obvious statement, but natural light is obviously to be seen. So we who are light, we are designed to be seen. I just said not all the time. We have privacy. But we are designed to be seen. So if you say, well, I'm going to serve God, but I don't want to be around nobody. I don't want anybody to see me and hear me. Oh, so then you're going to take your light and put it under a bushel? That's exactly what he said don't do. You don't, you don't light a light and put it under something, right? So that's why we, we have public meetings. We publish works. We have books and videos and all that. We're on social media and all that uh, because we believe that's the ways in which we can shine light. Now, to be sure, social media is full of foolishness, nonsense, the whole world is full of foolishness and nonsense. Your own family got foolishness and nonsense in it. So don't say, I can't go, I can't do Facebook, why it's too much foolishness. Where are you going to go and not see some foolishness? The game is handle your situation, handle your space. If you can't handle it, stay out of it. But if you're going to be a light, you got to go everywhere Jesus said to go. Everywhere. You got to go where the people are, go where the problem. You know, Jesus, Jesus said, upon this rock, I will build my church. Remember that? Gates of hell won't prevail against it. You know where he said this from? He said that in a place called Caesarea Philippi. 
Caesarea Philippi was Facebook, TikTok, all rolled together. <laughs> it was the worst place he could find. A place dedicated to demonic activity. Jesus chose and said, upon this rock, I'll build my church. And the gates of hell, all y'all, all this stuff won't prevail against it. See, he, Jesus was way more radical than people think he was. Jesus was, he went in. He went straight in, all right, all the time. We miss that. We see Jesus, you know, the you know, baby in the manger and all that. He grew up. I'm talking about the Jesus, the meek Jesus, who went into a place and turned tables over. Chased people out with a small scourge. And by the way, those were not tables, card tables and folding chairs. All they had was wood and stone back then. Jesus looked like Brad. Jesus was swole. I got a, sorry, bro, it's true. Jesus didn't, didn't, didn't look like, you know, a skinny dude. Because he's a carpenter. And so he had to lift wood and stone and he had no power tools. I always tell you that. The point, though, is we got the wrong view of Jesus sometimes. And when you're, when you're called to be light, that light needs to shine in places that do, that do not want to see light. They'd rather just keep the whole foolishness, the crazy train going, you know, the crazy train that they own. But God wants you to get on the crazy train. Not to be crazy. <laughs> it's hard. Listen, y'all, you got to be really prayed up and being mature. I don't recommend it to anybody not really prayed up and ready to go, all right? Uh, Jesus said again, verse uh, uh, Matthew 5, 16, he said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. How will they see your good works? They won't see them here at church service. They'll see nothing in any church service. Most people will have live stream, maybe, but the point is until we go out to the juvenile centers or, or the prisons or the community centers, the streets, the mission fields, we got to go somewhere. You know, Dr. Kelly is into uh, uh, advocacy. She's down at the state house, okay, trying to keep from, from bad stuff from coming to light. And so anyway, all right. Now, the second point is that light is a guide. See, light is a guide. Okay, here's what we want to do. I'm going to ask um, Galen to turn lights off, the ones I told you. I'm going to ask Nora to come with to me, with me, please. And Max is going with Pat. They're going back there. So I want you to shine this light, Nora, right down the middle. There's a button right there, right down the middle there. And this is what we do. Now, if the room was totally dark, and it's not, if it was, the only light we'd have is that light in this middle. So now Maxwell's going to come, come Maxwell, and Maxwell's going to come and follow the light. Again, if the room was totally dark, all he would have is this flashlight. Okay, here comes Maxwell to the light. All right, thank you, Maxwell. That's it. All right, thank you. Nora Maxwell, that's it. Give God praise. All right, did well. Okay. <laughs> Think about if the room were really dark, that would be the only way we'd know how to navigate this aisle. And I would dare say, we live in a world full of light, artificial lights, you know, 
I mean, when the sun goes down, all we have is, they had back then was light and fire. I mean, uh, lamps and fires. Fires of any uh, different sorts, whether it was a lamp, candle, whatever. But, so then, we're not sensitive today to darkness. We, you know, if it gets dark, we hit a switch. But think about the feeling when the power goes out. We just, it's amazing. When we lose power in our houses at night, we just, you know, we just roll with it for a few minutes. No issue, no problem. But let it go on for an hour, two hours, three hours. Now anxiety began to rise up in me. But the funny part is, we are still flipping switches. Because we just know if it's dark, all I ever have to do is flip a switch, you know. All right, you got the point. So light's a guy. Say light is a guy. Here's the point. Here's the slide. Now, this is a very important point I'm making to you right now. God showed me this a few days ago. When we shine our light, we help people. Say, when I shine my light, I help people. Now, watch this one. When we do not shine our light, we permit the hurt and pain of people to continue. That's what I realized. You know, I, I, I've always known it, but it came to me in this teaching. I, of course, I wrote this lesson a few weeks, a few days ago. And think about it. When, what, what would happen if, um, here's Sean, respiratory therapist, or respiratory technician, therapist. And, um, you had, I think she had to work several days in a row, I think, some, some time ago, because people weren't available. You couldn't get time off. Now, what if Sean said, I'm not going in? I mean, the, the person who was assigned should have showed up. Now I got to go in for them, and I'm just not going. Now, she wouldn't ever do that. But the point is, if, if her light didn't shine, her expertise, what she does during her shift, during her time at work, People are going to suffer. They may even die. I mean, with medical people, this is a real possibility. I suggest to us that when we don't shine our light, we're allowing people to hurt and suffer. Maybe you don't even know who, who they are. All I know is when, when I obey God, people are helped. If I disobey God, he may send somebody else. But it, it was for me to do. It's not automatic. God will send somebody else. It's not God's problem if I don't obey God. People ask questions. Why is there so much hunger in the world? Why does God permit it? it it's not God's problem. It's people's problem. We have enough resources, food, transportation to, to feed everybody in the whole world. We could do it today or tomorrow. Absolutely do it. So if it doesn't happen, it's something wrong with people. So when the light doesn't shine, then we allow people to continue to be, to suffer and hurt. I'm not saying it to make us feel guilty, just to understand the ramifications of doing God's will. All right? All right. So light is a guide. And third is light can be a warning. Say light can be a warning. All right. So just as light can show the way to good places, it can also provide advance warning of dangers ahead. So when Nora was standing here with her light, if the room had been totally dark, 
and there were an obstacle halfway down that aisle, that flashlight would have shown it. So light can also provide warning. It can help people avoid dangers. We had a men's meeting yesterday. We asked these questions yesterday, and I'm saying it again today, that one of the reflection questions in the lesson on this topic was, in what ways does your life as a light help people avoid dangers? Think about that. Because there are so many dangers in this world. We can't solve every problem. We cannot fix everything. Uh, we can't fix anything, but we can make a difference. Amen? Shining light. However, however God calls you to shine your light. Don't, don't take it as anything other than a joy to be able to serve God's purposes. I'll leave it at that. Don't feel guilty. Don't feel compelled. I feel so bad. Pastor said, go out and do this. Listen, y'all, don't be burden-driven. Be call-driven. Driven by a call, not by burdens come and go, y'all. Be burdened today, get down there, and get hit upside your head. I'm out. Oh, this is this. I can't take this no more. Because <laughs> there's no way you're going to shine your light and someone not, you know, not like it. All right. Now, let me switch gears a little bit and say this. And this slide here said we come this far by faith. And it occurred to me just this last night, preparing these notes, next slide says, history is a light. Say that. Say history is a light. And my three points here, to be seen, history gives understanding. That's why there's a move to stop history from being taught. I mean, black history from being taught. But that is asking for more ignorance. History guides. It's a guide. It inspires and educates. We cannot repeat mistakes of the past. If we have history, we can avoid mistakes of the past. Some of us who are old enough now know, I mean, we've been, I mean not, not even old, old, but old enough to know that we're already seeing re mistakes repeated. Things that should have been, that were solved decades ago are coming back around because people are forgetting history and the victories won. Third, to warn. History can be a warning, again, to avoid past mistakes, all right, so and more. I'm going to show you three videos, and these, here's the slide, three videos. Uh, these are from Freetown Village, and I was blessed, honored to produce uh, 12 of these called Black History Moments. And they are one-minute videos that address some aspect of Indiana black history, okay? So we watch all three together. I forget the order, but watch them and realize, and I, well, first I'll tell you this, I, I'm going to guarantee you, you never heard of these people, right? Now, again, figures, hidden figures, right? We know the figures, the great people, we thank God for them, but there's so many, so many other people. But they didn't do their work to be known. They, they shined a light in their era, and they made a difference even to this day. So watch these videos, three of them, one minute by, by three minutes for all three. So watch them all together, please. This is a little-known Black History Moment brought to you by Freetown Village. Though it was a free state, Indiana condoned slavery, and it was practiced by the most influential. A catalyst in ending the practice was Mary Bateman Clark, 
Mary was a teenager when she was brought to Vincennes, Indiana from Kentucky in 1814 and was immediately indentured to one of those influential men, General Washington Johnston. Unlike voluntary white European indentures, blacks were forcibly indentured for 30, 40, even 90 years and were treated as slaves. Working with her lawyer, Amory Kinney, Mary filed a lawsuit demanding her freedom. Seven years after arriving in Indiana, in 1821, an Indiana Supreme Court decision ruled her service was involuntary and in violation of the Indiana 1816 Constitution. An historical marker is in her honor located at the Knox County Courthouse. Driving in Indianapolis, chances are you will travel along Capitol Avenue. This major street got its name from John A. Purrier, one of the first African Americans to serve on the Indianapolis City Council. Purrier served on the council from 1892 until 1897. Purrier led efforts to change Tennessee Street to Capitol Avenue and Mississippi Street to Senate Avenue. Purrier wanted the street names changed because these were the names of slave states and he had once been enslaved. A downtown Indianapolis street was given his name in 1895. Just four blocks long, Purrier Street is north of St. Joseph Street, where black families once lived. Purrier died in 1930 at age 75. Corden Colored School was the only school for African Americans for decades in Corden, Indiana. Built for elementary and high school students in 1891, the first student graduated in 1897. Many of the students were descendants of about 100 formerly enslaved African Americans brought to the Corden area from North Carolina. One of the descendants was Leora Brown. After graduating from the colored school in 1923, Brown went to Indianapolis where she studied education at Madam Blaker's Teachers College. Brown returned to Corden to teach at the school. She taught from 1924 to 1950 when the school closed. Leora Brown's niece, Maxine Brown, purchased the abandoned property in 1987 and renovated it. The school was renamed the Leora Brown School and is used today for community functions. It is listed on the Indiana Register of Historic Places and is part of the Indiana African American Heritage Trail. For more information about Freetown Village, visit us at freetownvillage.org. As salt, we influence. As light, we help. And I thank you, Father God, that we take these words of Jesus to our hearts. We don't take them in any other way other than a joy and opportunity to serve your purpose. We don't see it as a burden, but as an opportunity. So, Father, thank you that we are light and we are salt. And we bless you, Father God, for the chances to be here today to worship you, to lift up Jesus' name. Lord, to enter into this time together. Now help us, Lord, as we continue with these devotional lessons and our devotional life. Even though these lessons will end on Tuesday, let us continue, Lord, with our own practice of devotion, reading scripture, contemplating, praying, and purposing to serve you every day. We thank you, Lord, praise you in Jesus' name. Every heart said, give God some praise. Go ahead and bless him. Amen.